Okay. Hello, everyone. Well, tonight, I'm just going to share a few more stories. And I want to talk to you about some more world-changing young people. I sincerely believe, as I said the other night, that this world will be changed, and it will be changed by young people. The thing, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what are they going to change it to? <clears throat> and who are they going to change it for? See, what's happened in the world is not only have young people shifted in their culture, they've come together in their culture. And I've talked to some leading world sociologists, and one in particular said, there is this emerging global consciousness and he consults with some of the most significant multinational corporations in the world. And he says, and he said actually, some of those multinational corporations, and he named some of them, have gone down rapidly and are now no longer in existence because they didn't tap in to that global consciousness. And he said the global consciousness resides in the youth. There's no longer geographical boundaries. There's no longer ethnic boundaries. They cross language boundaries, although they weren't there. And they're coming together globally, young people, with this desire to make a difference, with the belief that every one of them individually can change the world. And they are going to change the world. But who are they going to change it for? And what are they going to change it to? We've seen a number of examples of that. Um, we saw in Egypt, the Arab Spring. We've seen in a number of countries, rapid change brought about by young people. <clears throat> and the problem is that these young people, they go out with a great vision for what the future is going to be. And I don't know whether you you listen to what was going on in the Arab Spring and when, when these young people emerged and they started articulating what they wanted the world to become and what they wanted Egypt to become and they had this vision of freedom, religious freedom. And what happened though was that, sure, they did that. <clears throat> and they brought about change without violence. And people said it's just impossible that that could happen and they did it. But what happened was they didn't have a clear process or vision or or articulate a way in which they could take this opportunity and make the most of it and it was hijacked by more radical more violent more misguided people than the ones that they put out of power and and i think there's this enormous opportunity for us to give the young people of the world something worth changing the world to and a cause worth changing it for that can't be hijacked. And why can't it be hijacked? Because Jesus is the king of the world. And if young people are following Jesus, he's more powerful than any force or any power or any alternative that is out there. Do young people who follow Jesus make a difference? Absolutely. And we've heard, oh, I'm constantly hearing this now, and we heard, um, I think it was Rowena mentioned that 
Um, oh no, it was Steve mentioned that there are people out there saying that religion has ruined this world and that religion is the problem. Um, religion makes no difference. Um, I met a guy in California who was good friends with this, this brilliant social commentator on the radio. <coughs> he was the most listened to commentator. He was a Jewish guy, wasn't a Christian. And he started hearing all this stuff about how religions ruin the world, and particularly Christians, how Christians, how bad Christians are. And uh, one day on his radio program, <clears throat> he said, let's say you were driving through Chicago, and he mentioned a place in Chicago, and I've actually driven through there, and, uh, and it's just full of gangs, and it's where the most murders in America happen. Say you're driving through there, he says. And you run out of petrol, or what we call gas. You run out of gas in the middle of this neighborhood which has the most murders in America. And just as you get out of the car, all these young people come out with colors, which means they're all gang members. They come out of a house. Would it make a difference if they were attending a gang meeting or a Bible study? And he just didn't say anymore. Of course it makes a difference. Of course it makes a difference. If young people follow Jesus, it'll change the world. So let me tell you about some of these young people. <laughs> this is Nyugal. Nyugal uh, <clears throat> lived in Kyrgyzstan. She came to faith through Youth for Christ ministry. And, um, and she moved on in her faith for a couple of years. And then she came to the leader of Youth of Christ in Central Asia. And she says, I've got a vision. I've got a vision to reach some people. And she said, I believe God's calling me to go and reach the Uyghurs. Now, the Uyghurs are a, a Turkic people who live in northwestern China, in the Xinjiang region of China. Northwestern China, this particular region borders Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan and Pakistan. And, and, and actually I heard about this because the Central Asian leader, um, Sasha, came to me and said, <coughs> we got this girl and uh, she wants to go and reach the Uyghurs. And uh, before he said any more, I just read an article in Time magazine about the Uyghurs. How the Chinese have been trying to get control of this region in China for many, many times, the Chinese government. And they'd, they'd actually tried to move populations of Han Chinese into this area. And these Chinese families and people have been murdered and driven out. And the article went on to describe how the Uyghur people were the most radicalized Muslim people in the world. Across the border of Pakistan is where it was the hotbed of, <coughs> of terrorism, of ISIS and various other groups. It's Afghanistan as well. They're coming across, and because of these radicalized Muslim people, they're recruiting all these young people to come and join them in their vision for conquering the world for Islam. Many of the suicide bombers came from the Uyghur people. 
And I just read that article and Sasha calls me up and says, well, I've got this girl and she wants to go and reach the Uyghur people. And David, you told me I've got to empower young people. And her character is actually absolutely impeccable. She's, she's giving so generously in her life. And so that's what you told me, you know. So we've got to help this girl to go there. And it's only going to cost $300 a month. She's got no money. Um, and I want to see if whether you can help us. And I said, well, she can't go there. <laughs> I was, how could I be party to sending a girl to the most radicalized Muslim girl, a girl, <clears throat> to the most radicalized Muslim group in the world? Sending her to a certain death, I thought. But he said, no, no, I'm convinced that God's called her. She's actually part Uyghur. She understands the people... And he explained to me a little bit more. Look, he said there's, there's real radicalized groups and there's ones who aren't and it's more. And, and then she is explained to me that she knows what she's going to do and how she's going to do it. And I said, well, what's she going to do? And he said, well, this is what she's going to do. She's going to go in there and she's going to play her comas. And she plays this comas like nobody I've ever seen play it before. And she sings like an angel. So now you're going to see, now you go, now you're all playing the comas. she's going to go and, and she was being paid a lot of money to do this professionally um, it is a very traditional instrument and you only play it like this but and it's got no frets you know and this is what she does and then she sings and her idea was that she's going to go in there she was going to go to these villages she was going to set up in the village square and she was going to play her comas and all these young people would come and she'd tell them about Jesus that was her strategy Oh, what could I do? I've already preached this so many times and, you know, so I <laughs> said to somebody, one of my friends, how about $300 a month? Yeah, I can do that. So off she went and she did what she said she was going to do. And she had these young people come. And as they do in, a, in Islamic culture, they said, well, we're really... And she told them about Jesus. They actually talk about the Jesus of, uh, in the Quran. And I, I mentioned this afternoon to the group I was talking to that um, the Quran mentions Jesus 25 times. It only mentions Muhammad four times. It talks about Jesus being sinless. So she was going to latch onto that and explain that Jesus she knew what she was doing. And these young people said, You need to come and talk to our parents, you need to come and talk to our families. And so off she went and talked to the families, told them about this Jesus, told them about the relationship she had with Jesus. And these family came to faith. And then they wanted other families to come, and so she told other families. And then she went to another village, and she did the same thing. And more and more people came to Jesus, and suddenly she's got this huge group of people who she's going from village to village discipling. Absolutely phenomenal story. 
But one day, one of the fam a number of the families came to her and they said, and I go, we have family in Afghanistan, uh, just across the border. We need you to go and tell them. They live up in the mountains in yurts, in these, these huts. They know nothing of Jesus. You need to go tell them about Jesus. She goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and so she goes to the town that's closest to this border. And, and the border's across this expanse of wasteland and then into the mountains, and it's right up in the mountains. And, there's, and she's trying to find a way to get across. She's talking to the local people. How do I get across there? How do I get across to Afghanistan? They said, nobody goes across there. But she finally found somebody who actually travelled out there a bit. And he said, well, no you go. What you need to do is get a horse. And... Um, then you need to buy some live sheep because there's no way you'll be able to carry enough food to go across that expanse and get up into the mountains. And you probably can carry enough water and you'll find water up in the mountains because the snow melts. And you need to herd your sheep along, kill them as you're going because only they can the food carries itself. And if you keep going in that direction and follow that peak over there and then go to this other peak, you'll get there. So she gets on a horse, gets her sheep, and off she goes, killing the sheep along the way. Three weeks later, she found this people. Three weeks. I mean, look at her, little girl. You think, what? <laughs> and she told them about Jesus. And they came to faith. And she stayed there for quite some time and discipled them. And then she sold her horse because these people needed food. Well, how was she going to get back? Well, she decided she walked down the mountains the other way into Afghanistan. And she kept enough money to buy bus fares and she travelled across Afghanistan because we wanted her to come to a training program for our pioneers. And she ended up, I don't know how, she ended up in Kyrgyzstan and that little video of her playing at Comas was taken after she had done that. That was the training program that she came to. Uh, this is me younger aren't I this is in a place called Rotterdam which is in the Netherlands and in the Netherlands there were these two young guys and they came to our leader there Edward and they said Edward we want to go into this place in Rotterdam and we want to reach the people who are in there and the place they mentioned in Rotterdam uh, was populated by Antillian refugees, Antillian immigrants. Now, Antilles is over in the West Indies. It's an island that's, that's a protectorate of the Netherlands, and therefore a lot of these people came across the Netherlands. And it was, and these young people formed gangs, and they would have great big battles, and the police would go in and try and sort it out. But in the end, so many police got hurt, so many people got victimised and driven out of the area that a government leader stood up in Parliament and it was reported on the front pages of the paper, we have just declared this region of Rotterdam as a no-go zone for police. And we will only send police in in numbers of 50 or more in full riot gear only if we have to. And then along come these two guys and they say to Edward, 
we believe God is calling us to go in there and reach these people. What a ridiculous idea. How are they going to survive that? They said, God's going with us. Jesus asked us to do it. If we die doing this, we're prepared. And our wives are going to come with us. And we're going to move in there. And we're going to live in there. These two guys were named Daniel and Setkin. They just got married. They said, we're taking our wives in there with us. And they went to the government and they said, is there any place we can use in there for um, a youth centre? Well, and the government said, we've got plenty of buildings in there. You can have any one. Which one would you like? <clears throat> they gave it to them. And so in they went. And they rented a couple of little apartments. And they went to this building. And it was a crack house. They were cooking crack in there. The gangs were cooking crack in there. They cleaned it up. They fixed it up. And then they tried to meet some of the people. And in the end, the people said, well, why on earth are you coming in here? You're likely going to get killed. And they said, we're coming in here because we are with Youth for Christ. And they, you know, in, in Dutch, we're with Youth for Christ and we're coming here to serve you because we believe Jesus wants us to do that. Oh, <laughs> you're Christians, aren't you? We've had Christians come in here before. They come in here and tell us we're going to hell and then they leave and leave us in hell. That's exactly what they said to them. They said, well, we're not going to do that. We've rented those apartments over the road and we're going to come here and we're going to stay here and we're going to serve you and the young people in this area. Well, they fixed up this place and people um, came in and destroyed it and then they fixed it up again and then they destroyed it again and then they threatened them and then they stole all their stuff, broke into their apartment and stole all their stuff. So they got some more stuff, put it in and they stole it all again. And then everybody has a push bike there. They stole their push bike. So they chained it up with bigger chains. And then they chopped those off and stole that. And so these people, I mean, they threatened them. They tried everything. They tested them out. And, they, and this is what Setkin and Daniel had said to the people. We are not going to preach to you. We're not like that. We're not going to preach to you. We're going to come here and serve you. And we're not going to preach. We're just going to live here and try and bless you. They went into that place. They put up with all that. They risked their lives. Two years later, two years they were there. This gang leader came to them and said, we want to know about this Jesus that you follow. Great. Why don't you come on Thursday night and, and, him, and him and his deputy were there and I'll, we'll talk to you about it. We'll tell you about it. So this guy turned up on Thursday night with his whole gang. They couldn't even fit in the building. And Setkin and Daniel just explained the simple gospel, who Jesus was, who they followed, why they served him, how much he wanted to have a relationship with them. The gang leader got af after that and said, we all need to be followers of Jesus. <clears throat> You're all going to follow Jesus tonight. Daniel said, oh, come over here. This is not really how it works. We don't force people into relationship. No, this is how we do things. You sit down. I talk to my people now. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to do it tonight. <clears throat> Are we all ready? Righto, Daniel, you come and tell us how to do it. 
And he prayed the prayer, and they all prayed it. Well, things just changed. All these young people collectively came to Jesus. And as far as I know from what they told me, none of them were disingenuous. None of them were, were not a genuine conversion. And so they said, well, how can we help? And he, they said, well, we want to run training programs for you. And they started building um, training programs. They uh, put computers in. They taught them how to use computers. They got a big woodworking um, area and they told them, taught them how to be carpenters and they <coughs> transformed these young people's lives. And so when um, I went into this place and then I took some other people into this place, we walked into Rotterdam. We walked into this area and our first time I went in with the police liaison who was attached to the YFC team. And there was people waving out the window at Setkin and Daniel and, and uh, the streets were clean. They played all these drums. These guys all played their drums for me and they weren't allowed to do that before because that was the way they, they declared there before they had a fight they used to declare we're playing drums they were playing drums for me jenny i took jenny and and other families in there the crime rate went down in two years after these young people came to jesus by 70 percent anybody can go in there and feel safe daniel and setkin had both of their push bikes out the front with no chains on although all the other ones are chained up and they said, nobody will take our bikes. And they transformed that whole region of Rotterdam. The government came to them and said, can you do this in other places? They went to another place. We were taken to another place. And when they moved in there, within one year, the crime rate had gone down 60%. Within two years, it had gone down 80%. And then there was this uh, attack, public attack of Youth for Christ. Front page of the newspaper, a politician had said, we're giving money to these, because they actually provided these buildings, and we're giving money to a Christian group to evangelise young people. And there, it was just a vitriol in the newspaper, and, and they interviewed the national director, and here he is on the front page of the newspaper, and it went on one article after another for a couple of weeks until the leader of the opposition and also one of the leaders of, I don't know, the parliament, how it works there, came out with a public statement saying, you leave these people alone. This is what they have done for our nation. And so it was declared in the newspapers on the front page really the gospel story of transformation these two young people who risked their lives who didn't force jesus on anybody who just loved them into the kingdom had been the instruments by which a whole nation found out about jesus now daniel um he is now a pastor of a church in this place in this area because they said we need somebody to be our pastor and Daniel said well no I work with Youth for Christ we, we're not really pastors and he said no, no we need you to be our pastor 
and in the end, he, he agreed. And he said, all right, well, what do you want to call the church? <clears throat> and they called it the Thugs Church. Because <laughs> we're just a bunch of thugs. And it was all actually based on a song by Tupac, the greatest selling rap artist of the world ever, who died by being shot by, in a gang, by a gang in California, but his music lives on. He sold more albums than anybody else. And there's this song called The Thugs Mansion. And all it is about, where do we have a place? Where in the world do we have a place? Maybe God's got a place for us somewhere. That's what the song says. And these people said, we want to call it Thugs Church because we've found our place. So it's called the Thugs Church. And you can go visit that today. If you go to Rotterdam, you can look them up and go to their church and you can meet these people and you can see the transformation. You can see the miracle yourself. I'm going to share what this verse says in a minute because I want to leave you with this thought. There's a man in um, Denver, and we, we lived in Denver for 10 years, as I think I said the other night. Um, and he, is, he became a, a great friend. He, he was a wonderful supporter of our ministry. Um, his name's Mike, Mike Peebles. He owned numerous Ford car dealerships. And uh, he'd come to faith um, as an adult. I mean, he, he wasn't as old as me. He was still in his... The story comes from a time when he was just turned 40. Um, but um, what he used to do, it, it, he had this Ford dealership in the most prominent place in, in Denver. It was down the main highway and had this great big digital sign. And every Easter and every Christmas he'd put up very sensitive, very in-your-face messages like, Jesus is why you are celebrating Easter. Jesus is why you get a holiday. <laughs> Things like that. And every time, he said, he would get phone call after phone call of people complaining, saying, why are you using you know, your commercial thing to you know, promote religion? How could you do that? And he said, every time they'd say that, I'd say, how can I not? Jesus has transformed my life, and I want him to transform everybody's life. You won't get any more sales. Every time he got a spike in sales that he did it. Why? Because people knew they could trust him. If these people followed Jesus, we can trust these people to sell us a car and be honest. And I said, you know, Mike, it's amazing what you do. And he gave away, um, he always took a huge percentage out of his, out of his pre, uh, well, his, his gross, his gross income without getting his profits out and gave it away. And I said, what drives you? What, what changed your life? He said this verse in Second Chronicles 16.9, which says, The Lord's eyes keep on roaming throughout the earth, looking for those who hearts, whose hearts completely belong to him, so that he may strongly support them. And he said, when I read that verse, he said, I, I, I said to myself, I want to be one of those people. And Jesus' eyes roam throughout the earth. I want to be one of those people that he finds. I want to be one of the ones that he finds. I want to be the person whose heart is completely his, whose life is completely his, because I want to be a light in this world. And so I guess the challenge I want to leave with you tonight is do you want to be one of those people? And, and 
It doesn't matter what age you are. But it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we really want the Lord's eyes to roam across the earth and find us? Faithful. Willing to give anything. You know, these young people that I've shared the stories about, these young people, they, they really were just ordinary young people. They had obviously had gifts and talents, and they, but we're all gifted and we're all unique. And we all have something that God wants to do with our lives. We've all got a special place in this world that only we can fill. And God can take that if your heart completely belongs to him. And he can make something beautiful out of it. And he will change the world through you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray that everybody here, both young and old, will know how much you love them, that they're very special. They're special to you, and they're unique in this world, and there are things in this world that only they can do for you. Lord, I pray that, um, that when your eyes roam across this room as we know they are now that you'll find many hearts that completely belong to you that you may support us strongly to represent you in this world and to share your kingdom and your love and your gospel and your salvation with all these others who so desperately need you in your name, Jesus, we pray this.